Oregon Trail, the major immigrant trail to the coastal states. Between these two rivers lies a third. Not as long as the others, or as large, this river too flows west to east across the present state of Kansas. For its last hundred miles, it is the Kansas, or Kaw River, until it empties into the Missouri. All three of the westward trails enter the Great Plains at or near this point. For most of its length, however, this third river is called the Smoky Hill, joining with the Republican near Fort Riley to become the Kansas River. The trail that followed this stream was the Smoky Hill Trail, the route to Denver and the gold fields in the gold rush of 1859. Because of the greed and avarice, violence, bloodshed, and the dangers of nature's extremes, it became known also as the Trail of Death. With the exception of the actual historical figures who appear in this narrative, all characters are purely fictional. The Booth family is a composite, participating in events similar to historical events that actually happened. These fictional characters are intended to depict the spirit of those who opened the Valley of the Smoky Hill to settlement. This is their story. U.S. Interstate 70 now follows the Smoky Hill for much of its length. The climate was, and is, harsh and demanding. To those who do not understand, and are unable to yield to its cruel demands, the region is overwhelming, uninhabitable. They feel the kinship of those who perished on the trail of death. But for those who love and understand the country, it is richly rewarding. It is not the spirit of the region that makes it the trail of death or the promise of the future. It is the response of the people who encounter it. Part 1 Chapter 1 Gabe squatted on his heels and perused the heavy structure that stood in the flat beside the river. Massive in design, it reminded him of a picture he had seen once. It had been a picture in a book, a drawing of a castle. In front of the castle had been ladies with funny-looking dunce caps on their heads and some knights on horses carrying long lances. He wasn't sure what it was all about and why the women had to wear dunce caps, or, for that matter, why the horses all seemed to be workhorses. As far as he could remember, there hadn't been a good saddle horse in the bunch. But what had really intrigued him as a boy was the castle. There was a moat and a drawbridge and turrets and towers and a walkway around the top of the wall. There were men standing on the walkway holding weapons. He had thought a lot about that picture since. With a setup like that, and enough supplies and water, a few stout men could hold off an army. Now he had to admit, Bent's Fort wasn't exactly a castle, but it looked like one. The yellow adobe of the walls, several feet thick at the ground, rose impressively to the towers and the catwalk around the top. Part of the wall, not protected by the catwalk, had been planted with cactus along its top. They were in bloom now, reds and pinks and bright yellow. Real pretty, Gabe thought, but a good idea, too. Anybody trying to go over the wall would find it tough going. His eyes drifted to the main gates. That would have been a drawbridge of his castle. The gate at Bent's was built of thick planks of wood reinforced with iron fittings. It could be burned, he supposed, if it came to it. But it would be tough. Tough on the one who had to light the fire because the gate was directly under the catwalk. Men above could shoot down on any attackers. One thing intrigued him, the massive beam that supported the arch over the gate. It was a single tree trunk, one of the huge cottonwoods that grew up and down the Arkansas. It must be ten, twelve paces long, and nearly as thick as the height of a man. The log was embedded in the yellow adobe and plastered snugly at each supporting end. He wondered how they'd gotten it up there. It would have taken a lot of mules or oxen just to drag it from the river, let alone hoist it into place. Probably ropes and pulleys, he figured, after the walls were at the top of the door opening. Well, no matter. He knocked the dottle from his pipe and reached to refill it. Damn. No tobacco. He'd forgotten. It was so pleasant to sit or lie around in the summer sun, it made a man forget such things as buying more tobacco. 
There had been a time when he doubted if he'd ever be warm again. When they were starving out last winter in the Sierra's snows. He didn't hold it against Captain Fremont. None of the men did. They'd had to eat some things that would gag a maggot, and it had been a close call, but they'd come through. The men would follow the captain through hell if he said so, especially if he could get Kit Carson to guide them again like before. Kit and Tom Fitzpatrick and Joe Walker had brought them out. He stood and stretched and sauntered down toward the post to get his tobacco. The sun was warm on the back of his buckskin shirt. But what a day! The sky was clear and blue, and the south breeze fresh and clean. This was a proper way to live. He wondered sometimes if his brother James, back in Illinois, ever thought about it. His brother was a little older, a lot more set in his ways. James had a wife and three—no, four youngsters. Scratched dirt for a living, and seemed to like it. That was all right, Gabe figured, for them that couldn't help it. But it wasn't for him. He had to see what was over the next hill. Maybe that's what attracted him to John Fremont. The captain had the same sort of a gift. He looked across the flat toward the Arctic.